Welcome to the MedMan Podcast, a podcast focused on helping you level up your practice. I'm Jesse Arnoldson. And I'm Jay Holmes. Through interviews with some of the most successful leaders in the industry, we help uncover resources, tools, and ideas to help you level up. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's program. Hello, and welcome to the MedMan Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Arnoldson, and I'm joined today on our show by Dr. Tracy Farnsworth, the CEO and president of ICOM, Idaho's first and only medical school. Welcome, Tracy. Jesse, thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited that you're on. There's so many things that we can talk about. It's going to be hard to kind of narrow it down. You know, just to kind of let our listeners get to know you a little bit better, Tracy, tell us a little about ICOM and what are some of the highlights you've been experiencing as being around all of our future doctors over there? Oh, thanks, Jesse. Well, it's hard to believe it's been just over five years since the governor and other of our medical and health system leaders in Idaho announced the creation of the Idaho College of Osteopathic Medicine, which is the first and only Idaho-based college of medicine. And it was built because of our nearly last in the nation in physicians per capita, particularly in primary care physicians in rural areas, which we need so very much. Absolutely. I've had the chance to rub shoulders with several of the students from ICOM as they've come through Thrive Pediatrics um, in in their third year rotations, and they've just been incredible people. What are some of the things that you gain, Tracy, by being around just these young, brilliant minds? Yeah, good question. They are smart. They're very bright kids. They are the best of the best. And about a third of them come from Idaho and this surrounding region. The rest come from around the country. And uh, to a person, they're bright, they're passionate, they're fundamentally good people. We don't just bring kids into the med school that have the intellectual capacity to get through the curriculum, but we also look for young people with a character, with a promise for leadership. So they can help people like you and me and others to heal what Dr. Epperly often speaks of is our broken healthcare system. And so those are the kind of physicians that we need. Absolutely. Like I said, I've been able to get to know a few of them. Probably, I think we're into double digits now. And there hasn't been one that I haven't liked. And so I think that that says something to ICOM's caliber of people coming through, students, physicians that they're producing. So, well, that's great. Well, some are more likable than others, for sure. Sure, sure. I tell you, <laughs> we do take the raw material that is them. Yep. And we do mold and shape them, not only intellectually in terms of the curriculum material, but in terms of their personalities, their qualities, mm-hmm. their leadership abilities to help to shave off the rough edges, the non-professional edges that can be off-putting when they get out into clinical practice. Absolutely. And, you know, those are the edges that prevent the right message from actually getting to the patient, right? You know, you can you can be as smart as you can possibly be, have the exact right care plan, but it's not going to get anywhere if you're as, you know, rough as a square. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that a third of the students came from Idaho. I find that just incredibly inspiring. Have you gotten to see some students come from more of the rural parts of Idaho? Oh, Sure. Yeah, a goodly number of them come from rural Idaho. And, and let me clarify, about a third of them come from Idaho and our Mountain West region. Okay. Uh, Dakotas, Wyoming, Montana, and so forth. Awesome. And yeah, a goodly number of them come from our rural communities. And again, they're bright. And the good part is they want to practice primary care medicine and often go back into these rural communities, which is so very, very important. And that plays to what you spoke to earlier about Idaho coming in last for 
primary care physicians per capita, right? I mean, if we can train them, get them here, introduce them to the the goodness of Idaho or, or keep showing them the goodness of Idaho, then maybe they'll stick around, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't come to Idaho because they don't know about Idaho. Yeah. Once they come, like yeah. you and me, they don't leave, right? It's such exactly. a wonderful place to exactly. come and live and work and raise a family. Uh, and so, yeah, we're like 49th in the nation in physicians overall per capita and 45th in primary care physicians. But the population's aging. In the meantime, Idaho's growing. Yeah. We've got to deal with this issue. Absolutely. Well, Tracy, you know, one of the things that just drew me to you from one of the first times that we spoke, maybe almost eight or nine years ago, I think it is, if I'm doing the math right, Idaho State University, when I came to you for for some advice on where to kind of take my career once I had I'd been introduced to a touch to healthcare. And I remember getting to hear your story of going from a big health system to a smaller community hospital in Pocatello to teaching at Idaho State. And now at ICOM, you know, you've been able to stay in healthcare to some extent throughout your whole career, just in different in different parts. What's one or, or maybe two running themes that you've seen that kind of tie all of your career points together? Yeah, great question. Let me just say that I remember vividly as a young adult, wrestling as so many do with what do I do with the rest of my life? Uh, I discovered early on that I have a love for for business and administration and leadership, and I, I, I love people, and I want to do something that is socially significant. And interestingly, that drew me to healthcare and healthcare administration. And then I kind of developed more interest in education and educational administration. It's interesting how the first 20 years of my career, I spent running hospitals and healthcare systems. And then uh, mid-career, as I got closer to the university as a preceptor and adjunct professor, I decided to go back and get a doctorate degree and, uh, and become a professor and then a department chair and then a, and then a, a dean of uh, health sciences at Idaho State University. And so the common theme is health, healthcare, education, health and educational leadership. And uh, what I've learned, and I've mentioned this to you a time or two, is, is that we all need to be open to the winds of opportunity. Doors will close. In fact, they're slamming your face. Yeah. And that's okay. But the windows will open. And you have to have a good sense and a good nose to follow those windows of opportunity wherever they are. I love it. I love it. You know, in your experience, Tracy, you've been able to see kind of all sorts of executives and healthcare professionals, you know, with different styles. There are those that are just absolutely brilliant and they kind of carry the organization on their individual shoulders. And then there are those that almost work exclusively through teams. You know, they seek progress and and results through a group of people, a team, right? Can you maybe shed some light on what the differences are between those type of people, the individual and the team-based person? Yeah, sure. You know, as you know, Jess, there's been countless articles and books and speeches and lectures and presentations on leadership and teamwork and team development, and everybody's got their own views. Let, let me share a handful of thoughts. Yeah. First of all, I, I believe strongly that the best organizations, the most high-performing organizations, have a cohesive team. And uh, what does a cohesive team look like? You know, how do you know one when you see one? Well, for one thing, they make decisions quickly. Uh, they get buy-in. Mm-hmm. There's open and unguarded discussion and debate over the issues. They actually fight over the issues, it's, but it's never personal. 
the way they talk to each other. Cohesive teams talk to each other differently. Right. Uh, and how they talk to each other matters. Some teams have stilted, politicized, fragmented, butt-covering-like conversations. <laughs> they do. And others are more candid and reality-based. They get right to the issues, right to the questions. They debate them, and they find realistic solutions. And the key to all of this, Jesse, is that the leader sets the tone. Uh, leaders matter. They set the tone. We could speak about leadership styles uh, at length. And uh, one thing that's common about the best leaders, though, is that they develop relationships of trust. Mm -hmm. People fundamentally trust them. And they also, you know, look, there's a difference between leaders and managers. Sadly, most people that lead teams are often become managers and they administer and maintain and supervise and control, right? Rather than challenge and innovate and develop and inspire. And so that's what you want in a good leader. And you want that leader to develop a cohesive team. I love it. You know, as you describe it, I kind of think about the, you know, the person as they're, they're looking down the two paths. Do I just try and get by on my good looks, my intelligence, my brilliance, my skill? Or do I go down this other path? And what you described is a lot of work, Tracy. <laughs> it is not easy to do those things. It's a lot of work. I'm imagining this individual looking at that and thinking, oh, goodness, I'm just going to try and get by based on my own merit. Because uh, that, that just looks like a lot of work. Why do you think so many people shy away from creating great teams? Is it because they consciously look at it as a lot of work? Or is it just something that maybe they're not equipped to do? Well, that's a great question. And uh, first of all, leadership is hard. Mm -hmm. There's nothing easy about it. Teamwork is hard. There's nothing easy about that. And many people just, quite frankly, are not prepared to lead teams. I teach a leadership course, and I remind people that there are four levels of leadership. There's uh, personal mastery, interpersonal mastery, team mastery, and then system mastery. Hmm. And personal mastery basically means you got your own act together. <laughs> you know what your <laughs> values are, and you live a life consistent with those values, and you're a person of integrity. Yeah. The next level of leadership is interpersonal mastery. You've got to be able to have rich interpersonal relationships, which means you know how to have difficult, responsible conversations over the difficult issues with, with people and do it in a natural, normal, healthy way. Mm -hmm. Most people can't do that. And until you can have interpersonal mastery, you're, you're not in a position to lead a team. But once you are, then you can lead a team and develop team mastery where you're dealing with synergies and cohesive teams and so forth. And only then can you begin to pursue what we call system level mastery, where you're leading change in major and complex organizations? So frankly, Jesse, a lot of people are just not quite ready for prime time. Right. And they're asked to lead teams when they don't quite yet have their own house in order. But let me just say this, and then I'll pause. We've learned from research over many, many years that leadership can be learned. Only about one third of your leadership is innate or you're naturally born with it. The rest of it is learned. If you want to read and study and watch and learn and pay the price, seek and receive and practice feedback, you can develop those leadership qualities that are so essential for effective teamwork. I love it. I think that I bounce a little bit. Like I, every once in a while, I feel like I, I get a lot of progress on my personal mastery, 
I move on to my interpersonal. I do really good. I get to my teams one, then I realize some some blind spots I had, and I have to go back. And I just continuously keep building <laughs> back up to where I was. Um, what a the, great model, Jesse. Most of us have blinders on, and we're not mm-hmm. even aware of it. And so the best leaders also have a profound sense of self awareness. They seek, they actively seek and receive feedback. So they're mindful and aware of the things they say and do, and the impact that their words and actions have on others. And they adjust accordingly. Right. It's critical to teamwork. Absolutely. I think that teamwork, you know, you started out on on one of your previous answers, Tracy, talking about how there's so many books, so many viewpoints. I think teamwork suffers from being kind of overused, getting to be a a business buzzword, if you will. And it can create some cynicism, right? Like you start to see some problems. You start to see some fractures in your group. And somebody's like, well, yeah, well, we just need to work on on being a better team or work on our teamwork. And everybody's just like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> of course we do. But, uh, you know, how can you help us tease out some actionable or specific ways that we, you know, somebody like myself, I'm sitting in a clinic, I have a team around me. What's something I can start doing today to actually build on our team? Sure. That's a great question. And I think in that regard, sometimes you talk less and you do more. Mm-hmm. People watch leaders closely. There are little things you can do, I think, to enhance teamwork. First of all, I never bring my team together for a weekly or ad hoc meeting without having a clear agenda mm-hmm. and without making sure we're talking about the compelling issues. Follow-up is the bread and butter of management. If you want to get things done and advance the agenda, there needs to be a sense of accountability and mm-hmm. trust. I've learned over time the people that I can trust and those that I can't trust. The ones that I trust follow up and they do quality work. They don't exaggerate. They speak simple truths with clarity. Look, I think, uh, again, leadership is hard, but you've got to be willing. You have to love your people enough. Pull them in, close the door and say, Bob, I love you, but let me give you some feedback. Give good, honest, straightforward, no-nonsense feedback about what's working and what's not working. And if you do it in a spirit of love, they know you care about them and you care about the organization. And you can say about anything if they know you're doing it from that basis. But absent that follow-up and that coaching and that mentoring, uh, teams will always stall and fizzle out. Lately, Tracy, I've been thinking a lot about feedback. We did an episode a few months ago on how you provide feedback plays essentially into into what kind of team you're going to have. And love and caring about the person was was one of the essential pieces. One of the things that we've been practicing lately, myself and a couple of the other you know leaders in our team is to be more specific with our positive feedback because we're always very specific in our negative feedback and to separate them, you know, uh, to try and find somebody to round, find a good thing about somebody and tell them, you know, hey, you know, Jennifer, you are doing X, Y, Z specifically well, and it's really great. And then nothing else, because usually people are expecting the butt, right? Like the sandwich, you know, you're doing something really, you do a really good job, but you're also really grumpy. Oh, and you're doing, you know, <laughs> and, and so we're, we're experimenting with the feedback in our clinic and seeing what works best for the people that we have. Yes. That is such good counsel, Jesse. I love that. That's true. Yeah. Um, Look, when I was with Intermountain Healthcare for many years, we had a culture and a practice of beginning and ending meetings with uh, what went right, what went wrong, Mm -hmm. and getting good, quick, pithy feedback on 
what's going well and what's going not yeah. and being specific, being detailed. Was it on, I, on what had went well in the meeting or, or just in general in the organization? All the above. All the above. Project, the meeting, the conversation, the issue, whatever it is. But developing a culture of asking the question, what went right, what went wrong, being specific, being detailed, being timely in that feedback. Very, very important in a culture of performance improvement. I like that a lot. Well, Tracy, I appreciate all the wisdom that you shared, you know, in this interview. And and I hope our listeners can take away some of that and focus on their teams. You know, that's out of anything that you're going to be working on, if you want to make the most progress possible, it's 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 not on your little to-do list of <laughs> move money to the bank, yeah. go get the mail, go do all these little tasks. It's it's developing the people on your team. That's where you're going to get the biggest bang for your buck. So Tracy, thanks for being on this episode. I look forward to chatting with you on the next one. You're welcome. Jesse, pleasure to be with you. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, make sure that you subscribe to the MedMan podcast so that you can stay up to date on all upcoming episodes and information. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review. Help us know how we're doing and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into the MedMan podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's featured guest. For the show notes, transcripts, resources, and everything else MedMan does to help you level up, be sure to visit us at MedMan.com. Thank you.